Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online or later on demand, or even listening to our podcast, we've been praying that you would experience the life-changing power of God in your life today. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. There's no need to pretend that everything's perfect in your life. It's certainly not an hour's. We are regular people on a journey, allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives. We're learning to live like Jesus, a little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. People grow here because our team loves to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. So if you're on that journey too, we're looking forward to lending a hand. And even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you're skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of his followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking questions and looking for answers too. So I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Now, let's join our service. The final week in our series, Magnetic, Activating the Power of Influence. Over the past four weeks, we've been attempting to deconstruct some of the fear that keeps us from inviting people who need Jesus into a life-giving, life-changing relationship with him. At the same time, we've been trying to broaden our perspective on the process of evangelism, hoping to reframe how we think about it so that we can fearlessly and intentionally sow seeds of the good news wherever we go. Uh, the good news is the language we use inside the church to refer to the truth that God loves us more than we could possibly imagine. But any relationship with God was impossible because the filth of our sin separated us from the holiness of God. So God sent his only son, Jesus, to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross at Calvary in our place. And then three days later, rose victorious over death and now offers us the same kind of post-death life, a life that bridges the sin gap and restores what was broken when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. Uh, this new life is offered freely when we say yes to Jesus and surrender our old life for this new one, which changes everything. We are changed from the inside out. Some of those changes are immediate and others take a lifetime to discover as we become like Jesus one step at a time. That is the good news. But it is a mouthful, which is why we abbreviate it into those two beautiful words, good news, when it's just us. 
And in his final moments with the disciples after the resurrection, Jesus commanded them and through them us to bring this good news to the world around us. Uh, he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the kind of news the world needs to hear. But as we've already discovered, the shifting of our culture away from the Judeo-Christian values that have shaped our world for, country, for centuries, that shift is hardening the hearts of people who are desperate to discover our good news, even though they don't know it. Most of us are discouraged by what we see occurring in our culture. And there is a lot to be discouraged about. Uh, the more God allows sin to have its own way in our world, the more alien we feel in this world. Like we don't belong anymore. Which on the one hand, we know that we don't belong anymore. But on the other hand, we're still here. <laughs> and we don't want to have the ideologies of this world shoved down our throats all the time. But though there is lots to be discouraged about, we also have lots to rejoice about. You see, even though hearts are harder, in the short run, the script that the, this world lives by, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that the world's script always leads to the same destructive things. It always leads to loneliness. It leads to brokenness. It leads to anxiety. It leaves people empty. It steals peace. It robs people of hope. The world's script doesn't keep any of its promises. It only leaves people worse off in the end. It leaves people searching for something, anything solid to build their lives upon. If only we had some good news to offer them. <laughs> this, this is where it, it gets really interesting. It's a paradox. Yes, the world is in bad shape. But it is because the world is in bad shape that we have probably the greatest opportunity in history to sow seeds of good news. When life is going great, people aren't generally open to change. They don't see the need for it. This isn't true just for the world, by the way. It's human condition. When life is going great, we also opt for the status quo. I, I guess that if you thought through your own life, you'd find that your greatest moments of spiritual growth occurred in valleys and deserts, when life was challenging in some way. So we live in a world that is experiencing a deep, dark valley, and the light of Jesus shining through us can lead others to life. We just have to view every interaction as a seed-sowing opportunity. Now, we've been using Jesus' parable of the sower to frame the way we look at the evangelism process, which is a subset of the larger discipleship process of becoming like Jesus. Uh, in the parable of the sower, Jesus presents four types of soil. Hard, the hard soil of the path, rocky soil, thorny soil, and fertile soil. And in this parable, we are the farmers sowing seed. The Apostle Paul applied this parable uh, this way in his letter to the church in Corinth. He wrote, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants. That is, we are farmers through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. So like Paul and Apollos, we sow 
and water seeds. We aren't responsible for the state of the soil. God will use the destructive state of this world to cultivate the soil. So we don't have to worry about cultivating. And God also takes responsibility for what happens to the seeds after we sow them. So we don't have to worry about the results. We aren't responsible for the harvest. We just have to sow. As we've discovered, different kinds of seeds grow in each type of soil. And with the state of the world the way it is, that means we're sowing lots of kindness, blessing, and surprise grace with winsomeness onto hardened soil. All of us can and should generously sow these kinds of seeds everywhere we go, in every interaction. This is easy sowing. There's nothing for us to be afraid of. No one is going to be upset because you blessed them or were kind. We can easily sow without fear. And when we have the opportunity, we can invest in deeper relationships by listening with compassion to the stories of the broken and bruised victims of this world script. We live in a world where everyone is shouting, but no one is listening. So learning to listen compassionately without pressure to have all of the answers sows seeds that God uses as he cultivates soil. It models, even makes tangible the grace that God offers through Jesus. Evangelism starts to feel a little scarier when those conversations become trickier to navigate as we attempt to expose cracks in the false ideologies of, the, of this world that people have been indoctrinated to believe. But last week, we learned how to sow seeds in these kinds of conversations by asking the right kind of questions. Questions that anyone can ask. Whether you've been a Christ follower for a month of Sundays or one, whether you know a lot about a subject or none, all of us know how to ask questions. So far, so good. Again, we're trying to deconstruct the fear that keeps us from sowing seeds. And to this point in our conversation, we haven't done anything scary. But there is one more thing we need to talk about. And all of all of the seeds that we sow, this one is probably the riskiest. Uh, Peter describes it as the reason for our hope. Uh, let's look at what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3. He writes, instead, that's in context, instead of worrying about suffering for your belief in Christ, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. That is, be true to, the, to live the way Christ calls you to live. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Now, so if someone asks about your hope, be ready to explain it. At some point, you are going to need to be able to explain the difference Jesus makes in your life. Be ready for this moment. Prepare for this moment so you are ready. But before you panic, let me tell you what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you have to start an awkward conversation. Although the more you talk about your hope, the more natural it would feel, you simply need to respond to someone else's question about your hope in Christ. They have seen something different in you and they are asking about it. 
So you're going to have to learn how to tell your Jesus story. Actually, your Jesus stories. Because you have more than one. First, you have what we would typically call your testimony. That is how and why you became a Christ follower. We started this series with me telling mine. I was seven years old, and Roberta Shorb hosted a backyard vacation Bible school that my sister and I were somehow invited to, where we heard about Jesus for the first time. And then one night on the phone uh, with Roberta, she led me to saving faith in Jesus. And the rest is history. Aditi grew up in a family with a long Christian tradition, which meant she grew up in church. Her older sister, Debbie, led her to Christ when she was four years old. Now, though it is miraculous anytime someone surrenders their life to Jesus and is cause for celebration, neither of our stories is particularly exciting. I was seven, she was four. How much trouble could we get into at that stage of life and have a riveting life transformation story? She wasn't miraculously saved from a life of crime. I wasn't delivered from drug addiction. That doesn't mean there isn't value to our stories, but you get the point. You also have a testimony and should be able to put it in words, whether it is exciting or not. But while your testimony might fall into the category of giving a reason for your hope every now and then, I don't think that's, that that's what Peter is really talking about in this verse. I think he's talking about your other stories. In my mind, we all, we all have three other types of stories that will probably be better used to communicate our hope. Stories of rescue, stories of struggle, and stories of weakness. Now, first, if our testimony is the story about ultimate rescue from death, our capital S salvation experience, then our stories of rescue are our lowercase s salvation stories. Stories where God showed up and rescued us when we needed him most. You weren't supposed to be able to get pregnant. You cried out to God for answers for years, and now you can't stop having babies. Uh, it, it was looking like your marriage was over, but God stepped in and changed your heart and hers and now it's stronger than ever. You were desperate for that job. You left it in God's hands and you got hired. You weren't sure you were going to be able to pay your rent and an unexpected check showed up in the mail. You were zipping down the freeway and only the grace of God kept you alive in the accident. Years ago, here at Dayspring, I came into the office one day to find out that all of the staff were having their pay cut by 20%. Oh, and by the way, no notice, tomorrow is payday. It was tempting to just stop tithing. We were barely scraping by, but still giving 10% of my gross pay every month. I thought, well, I could just not tithe that 10%. That, that way my pay cut would work out to be only 10%. That would certainly be hard, but less hard. Now, we prayed about it and felt God leading us to keep tithing as if we were at 100%. So keep our tithe the same, even though my gross pay was now 20% less. And we could logically tithe 20% less as well. But I felt like God was saying, how much do you trust me? So we kept tithing at 100% for seven months. After seven months, the church moved everyone back to 100%. What's really cool is that we were better off financially after seven months than we were before the pay cut. God just showed up 
It was a lowercase s salvation. We all have stories like that. Stories when God shows up victoriously. And we need to know how to tell those stories. They are reason for our hope stories. And while there is certainly some overlap, besides lowercase s salvation stories of rescue, we also have stories that emerge from our seasons of struggle. These stories don't focus so much on the way God showed up at the end of the story, but rather on how he met us and changed us on the journey. These are the kinds of stories where our rescue comes in a different way than we hoped or wanted to at the time. These are the stories we tell about what he what he taught us in a season of loneliness or depression, how he taught us peace when anxiety was overwhelming, how he restored hope when all looked hopeless, how he deepened your faith as you navigated cancer, unemployment, broken relationships with your kids, unmet expectations in your marriage, a boss who had it in for you, being bullied by your peers, and even temptation. These are stories of intangible lessons. The stories where God was clearly refining your character and making you more like Jesus. I was sitting in my office as she was telling me all the things I was doing wrong as a worship pastor. Now how we got to that point is less important than what happened next. I asked her to give me an example of what she wanted. What would be right? And she said that she thought I should share my heart more with the team. Which surprised me but not for reasons you would expect. To this point in my life, I honestly didn't feel like anyone would really care about what was going on in me. Uh, even though my heart knew differently, my head acted as if I had to earn love by doing something for people. Well, and by doing stuff for God. What was there to love about me if I didn't do something for you, solve some problem for you? This is a common disconnect for abuse victims. She doesn't know this, but something clicked that day as God aligned what my heart knew from God's word with what my head believed. And it completely changed the way I saw myself over time. It wasn't an immediate fix. This is a season of struggle story. Yes, God came through with the rescue in the end, so to speak. I became emotionally and spiritually healthier over time. But the focus is more on the journey than the outcome of the journey. The third kind of story is our stories of weakness. These are the stories we don't really want to tell or like to tell. We'd rather tell the stories that make us look good. And while we don't really love to tell stories that make us out to be victims of someone else's weakness either, even they are better than telling stories of our weakness. So for these, we're going to take our cues from the Apostle Paul. In his second letter to the church in Corinth, he goes hard after the false teachers who are full of themselves, questioning his and the other apostles' authority. He spends a couple of chapters reminding them of his credentials, which consist of his pedigree, uh, but focuses more on the incalculable sacrifices and suffering he has experienced on behalf of the church as a bearer of the good news. When we get to chapter 12, he reminds them that he could boast about as many visions and revelations if he wanted to power up over them. Uh, that experience, he writes, is worth boasting about. I will, but I will not do it. I will boast only about my weakness. If I wanted to boast, 
I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. And though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, even though, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is exactly why we need to harness the power of God in our weaknesses. His power works best in our weaknesses. In Christ, our weaknesses become our greatest strengths. Our weakness has the potential to become our greatest ministry when through surrender we allow him to redeem the junk. Most of you know that I've been on staff here at Dayspring for almost 23 years now. I was hired as the worship pastor before moving to the lead pastor role five years ago. I really struggled internally for the first six months as the lead pastor. I felt like an imposter for about six months. Or, as my friend Merle would say, is that an impastor? That was funnier than that. Come on, people. But I felt like I, felt like I was an, an, an imposter in this role, but I, I felt called completely by God to be here. But, but I felt less than. Real pastors go to seminary. I hadn't been to seminary. Real pastors don't lead worship. I do. Uh, in the year leading up to that, a f couple of people who should have known better made it clear that they didn't believe I was qualified, so that didn't help matters. If I was around other real lead pastors, I would kind of shrink inside. It took a fair amount of wrestling with God to align my heart and mind with the truth of God's word. Not that a seminary education is a bad thing, but in the end... Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Holy Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. I've spent most of my life allowing the Holy Spirit to do, allowing him to do his work in me, preparing me for this assignment. He doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. That way he gets the glory. I have come to grips with the truth that I am not less than. I am a real lead pastor. You're stuck with me. The, the, the way, of the, the way the, of the world would have me hide my weakness. But like Paul, I will gladly boast of my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. See, that's why our stories of weakness have the power to connect most deeply with the broken and bruised people. Because God inhabits our weakness. We leave room for him to move. These kinds of stories come in many forms. Sometimes they are the weakness of our failures. Sometimes they are the weak, our weakness at the hands of others. 
Stories of abuse, stories of addiction, stories of brokenness, stories of rebellion, of poor choices. These are the stories of our dark places, stories that carry shame and embarrassment with them. But when we keep them in the dark, they continue to have power over our lives. On the other hand, when we allow them to be used by God to remind others of his strength, they bring us freedom. I've never met anyone who didn't also feel less than in some area of their life. My story of weakness has become a tool God can use to sow seeds that bring healing and wholeness to other people. If I allowed shame and embarrassment to keep me from talking about it, other people might never experience freedom from this lie of the enemy. Many of us love these words that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. In Romans 8.28 he writes, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now Peter put his spin on our suffering. Uh, in, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by, the, by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. When, when we allow God to use our weakness and our failures for his glory, he turns our trash into treasure for his glory and his purposes. So we need to learn how to tell these stories in a life-giving way. And because so many of our stories uh, of weakness are inextricably linked to other people in our lives, our dads, and our moms, our spouses, our exes, our classmates— that life-giving way includes telling our stories in ways that honor these others even when they don't deserve it. Not for their sake, but our honor blesses God. So these, those are the three kinds of other stories we need to be able to sow, to be able to use as we sow seeds. Stories of victory, stories of struggle, and stories of weakness. But let me throw in one more story type. This is bonus material now. This one is the story of what God is doing in your life right now. All of the other stories are stories of what God has done in the past. But he's not done with you yet. He's still writing chapters of your story. So what is he doing right now? Sometimes God is teaching you a lesson right now so that you can encourage someone right now which means we need to be aware of what he's teaching us in the present. You're going to want to dig deeper than, than the surface if you want to know what God is doing in your life right now. I can tell you that he's probably not trying to teach you patience. I, I can't tell you how many times I've asked someone to tell me what God is doing in their life right now, and that's their answer. He's trying to teach me patience. All respect to those of you in the room or online who have given me this as your answer, but you need to dig deeper. Almost without exception, when I ask clarifying questions, I find out that some other part of the patient's person's life is out of alignment with Jesus. Like there is an ongoing sin issue, little no time in God's word, or wrestling with God for control. In all of those cases, and others like them, the need for patience they are experiencing is really a reflection of an out-of-balance spiritual life. God is allowing them to experience the fruit 
of their own labors. Patience is a gift of the Holy Spirit and has more to do with a contentment that is patiently satisfied with the pace of God's work in our lives and the lives of those we love. Not a need to be patient with those people. So dig a little deeper if you really want to know the answer. You may need to deploy that answer as a seed for someone else. So we have, what, one, two, three, four, five kinds of stories. Your stories are bridges to connect with other people. As you get to know someone who is experiencing loneliness, I guess that you've been lonely. You might even be lonely right now. So use loneliness as a bridge to point to Jesus. How have you experienced God in your loneliness? How has he made it better? You're probably going to come across someone who is experiencing loss of some kind. It could be the loss of a death. It could be the loss of a job or the security that having a job gives. It could be the loss of some other relationship or the loss of a dream. You don't have to have experienced the exact same kind of loss to connect with someone else's loss. All loss has shared characteristics. How, you, how did you experience God through your loss? How did he make it better? What did he teach you? You are using your stories as bridges to connect to other people. That in and of itself is a good thing. But do more than just tell your stories. Tell them for a purpose. Use them intentionally to point people to Jesus. Your stories are seeds of hope that God can use to cultivate soil. Tell them fearlessly. No one will be offended that you met God in your suffering. And even if they are, what's the worst that can happen? You aren't going to be arrested. You won't be martyred for your faith, at least here in the United States. At the worst, they're going to tell you they aren't interested. Okay, move on. But you aren't telling them that they should experience God. You are sharing that you did. You experienced God and it left you changed. Made your life better. No one can argue with your experience. So tell your stories fearlessly. As we wrap up this series, there is so much more we could talk about. But I want to leave you with this thought. If you forget everything else, remember this. We live in an age of outrage. We live in a time when people are looking to be offended about anything and nothing. Our culture is more visibly divided than it has ever been before. And people are defining themselves more by what divides us than what unites us as human beings. Hate is rampant. Confusion is confusing, especially our kids. There, there is no part of me that believes that all people are characterized by the extremes, the far left or the far right of whatever issue. Uh, no matter what the news would have us believe, most of the people we come in contact with are just as trapped by the systems of this world controlled by Satan as we are. Those people are looking for real answers to real problems. We have the only answer that matters. His name is Jesus. Be like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Be the opposite. Do the opposite of whatever seems right to the world. 
There is more power in love to change lives than there will ever be in hate. So be love. Everywhere you go, let love leak from every pore in your body. God will use our seeds of love to change lives. Let's pray. Father, may we be bold and fearless as we share with people what you have done in our lives, what you are doing in our lives, what we hope you will do in the future in our lives. May we be hope to the hopeless because you are shining through us. May we bring peace to the peaceless because you are peace in us. Father, may we be light in a world that is dark. Father, give us wisdom and courage to tell our stories. Help us to think through them so that we can tell them most effectively. Father, we pray for divine appointments in the days and weeks and months to come. Appointments that you have set up for us to sow seed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of the faithful giving of people who called Dayspring their home church. God's work in their lives has left them changed, has made them more like Jesus and they have come to understand how God uses their generosity to encourage others to become like Jesus as well. So if you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We count it a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God would give you opportunities to use your influence for the glory of his kingdom. And one more thing, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that's appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing.